Welcome to Two Hypnotherapists Talking with me, Denise Billen Mejia in Delaware, USA. And me, Martin Ferber in Preston, UK. This weekly podcast is for anyone and everyone who would like to know more about the fascinating subject of hypnosis and the benefits it offers. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist and psychotherapist. I'm a retired medical doctor turned consulting hypnotist. We are two hypnotherapists talking. So let's get on with the episode. Martin, it's been one of those days again. <laughs> it's been one of those weeks trying yes, to get this podcast well, together. Yeah, yeah, that and the other one and the radio show and everything else. And I don't know if things happen in threes because it seems to be a whole lot more than threes right now. But Murphy's Law is in full force. Yeah. Every time I think, oh, I've got it. And now I'll be able to do something else happens. And I think that you have been an incredible godsend in helping oh, talk you. me down. <laughs> I do know all the things. I help my clients do all the things. But it's it's been really helpful. So, and I think it might be helpful for our listeners if you can just, you know, talk me through. As my blood pressure slowly sinks down, now you've fixed my problem. <laughs> well, take a deep breath and relax. <laughs> well, one of the first things they told me, actually, at Hyp Hypno College was... Um, having reciprocal treatment, having reciprocal hypnotherapy. Because, of yeah, course, we've, we've all got to keep that spare mental capacity. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And running a business is, is, you know, most of us don't learn that. But in whatever capacity we have in our jobs, we aren't taught the business of that thing unless we happen to be business in business school. Um, yeah, of course. And yeah, then when you get business cards, hand them out. People will just come to you. Yeah, sure they will. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, the, the other thing that very light on the teaching is the techie side, especially for people of uh, our years. <laughs> yeah, my advancing years. Yeah, I'm, mine too. Of course, tech changes. Yeah, <laughs> tech changes. Changes, changes all the time. I've, how dare you move that button from over there to over there? <laughs> all right, so I am beginning to relax. What would oh, you God. think I would do next? What do you think would be a good idea? Apart well, from smiling and laughing, because laughing yeah. always helps. Oh, well, brings your pressure down too. Yeah. Absolutely does, yeah. But it, it's it's the breathing, isn't it? I always go for the seven, seven, seven. In for seven, mm -hmm. hold for seven, and out for seven. And make sure you're empty. And of course, I'd explain it in the simplest of forms. It's that it activates the parasympathetic nervous system and slows the mind and body down. Of course, yeah. you, you, you can be, feel you, it. You yeah. feel it. Of course, you being a doctor will be able to give a far more complicated explanation. Complicated is overrated. <laughs> simple, simple <laughs> is easy. It brings your blood pressure down, your heart rate drops, slower breath really helps. Mm. And and it stops the swirling around like, it's okay, it's only time, and I have as many hours in the day as anybody else. So, yeah, it's always tomorrow. <laughs> you know, you know what this begs the question though, one I was going to ask you as well. Um, because obviously this is our first uh, broadcast. What do people think they're gonna well, what do people expect when they go to see a hypnotherapist? Well, usually well, they actually see me, they've already spoken to me for at least mm. half an hour on the on a call because I always do a free call and I think you do the same thing. Yeah. Um so we've we've gotten rid of the idea that anybody's going to get a pocket watch out and swing mm. over in somebody's eyes, and we've gotten rid of the idea that it's mind control. And most people who are significantly worried about that probably wouldn't have called in the first place. Mm. But um, I I think that there is still a little residual. You know, the therapist is going to just snap their fingers and 
you know, the weight will just fall off and you'll be a skinny person <laughs> tomorrow or, you know, instantly you don't have to do anything. And of course, we both know <laughs> that mm. we're doing 10% of the work. <laughs> they so do the do real the work is in, this, in the subconscious minds of yeah. the clients, but they have to be willing to change. And well, the willingness to change is really... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, uh, we're always told, you know, they, they need to play the game. I, I'm, well, mm -hmm. I'm not guessing. I know you, you also provide audio recordings for in-between sessions, for example. So do I. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously that is important that they do that. You know, they, they listen to the recordings each day. Um, I mean, again, just a little example with me. I, I tend to use background uh, music in my recordings as well. And when the, mm -hmm. next, the next time the person comes into my office to see me, that music is playing very low in the background. So immediately the oh. subconscious feels secure. It recognises the music. So are you, are you extremely organised and you keep the same music for you know which client got which music or do you use the same underlying track? I, I use the same person? underlying track all the time. Um, again, it's that thing with the mind like in repetition. Um, mm -hmm. but the, the mind picks up on signals, you know, when you see red, you feel danger, the way we're programmed, that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I work on the basis that they associate that music with the last thing they listen to every night. They feel safe and secure in their own bed. Um, so they walk into my office and they hear it playing just gently in the background. Um, yeah, straight away, it triggers something in the subconscious. That's, that's, that's my train of thought anyway. That's a good idea. Maybe I'll start doing that. Of course, I don't see people physically in their office. I see mm. them uh, almost entirely on Zoom. I have made a few house calls, mm. uh, but no, I can't do that to Preston <laughs> over here in Delaware. <laughs> uh, but there have been a few local people I've seen for specific, you know, because they cannot um, mm. a deal with computer. Or for those few clients that it would not be safe, like uh, patients with epilepsy, yeah. you would have to physically see them rather than see them on Zoom. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah. Actually, talking to Delaware and Preston, it might be a good time to uh, let people know who we are and where we're from. It's <laughs> a good idea, yeah. Shall I go first? Yeah, Before why not? Sexist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Denise Villamahia, and I am a former doctor. I'm originally from Salisbury, the UK, but I've lived in the States for a long, long time, as you can probably tell from my accent. And uh, I, when I retired from medicine, uh, I didn't want to give up helping people. And I trained as a coach and then I trained in hypnotherapy and fell madly in love with hypnotherapy. So I now, the main reason for me having the podcast, having my other podcast for doctors is to get people to understand how helpful hypnosis can be for medical reasons and for lots of other reasons, because anything that makes you feel good improves your health, doesn't cure cancer, <laughs> but living your best life is what you want. It's what your doctor wants for you. It's what your therapist wants for you, what your mum wants for you. So it, the, the little things are as important to your well-being as the big things. Absolutely. So, okay. How, yeah. How's life in Preston? <laughs> yeah, Preston's fine. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. So I'm Martin Ferber. I'm what's called a solution-focused hypnotherapist and psychotherapist based here in the UK. Uh, I see people at my private practice in Preston, which you can see behind me, uh, for those who are watching on YouTube. And I see people online as well worldwide. Uh, I got into hypnotherapy. I started studying it six years ago. Um, I've been practicing it. I'm in my second year of practicing it. Um, and I got into hypnotherapy following a 20-year um, career in the jewellery trade. It's an interesting swap. 
It was an interesting <laughs> swap. Yeah, I uh, just just very briefly. Um, I was suffering with PTSD after two robberies at my jewellery shop in Preston. And I went for therapy and it worked miraculously. I got hooked on it. I started studying it. I lost nine stone in weight doing it. Um, and for for, for non-UK people, that's about 126 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of the fat jeweler from Preston, I'm, I'm the thin therapist from Preston now. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, well, so that's our backgrounds. What about the kind of hypnotherapy we practice, though, Denise? I think our styles are very similar. I trained Mm. at a place called the Hypnosis Motivation Institute, which has been around for more than 50 years uh, in California. Fairly traditional hypnosis, uh, a lot of uh, progressive relaxation, and and some Ericksonian for those people who aren't familiar with Erickson he was a psychiatrist in the 60s and 70s here in the US and did a huge amount to help for to to um to help the progress of hypnosis I'm babbling now but (laughs) but uh uh it's a conversational style you don't you don't see an Ericksonian hypnotist with you know count backwards from three just have a conversation but the wording and the, the speed those things are what helps people to relax because as we both know hypnosis is something you do anyway your mm. body and your mind just naturally allows your conscious mind to check out for a bit so your subconscious can accept interesting suggestions mm. which of course when we're doing it are things that we've already talked to our clients about and we know that they want yeah absolutely yeah yeah um i practice what's called solution focused therapist which sort of does what it says on the tin we focus on the solutions not the problems and by that um it, it, a session is typically 50 percent, as we call the psychotherapy side of it the talking therapy and then 50 percent of hypnotic trance where we embed all those positive suggestions within the session um the the psychotherapy side though that my the immediate response i get from people is usually um they think immediately psychoanalysis you know are we going to look Mm -hmm. for a problem no we don't do any regression these days and we certainly don't try and do any analysis of, of cause or that kind of thing um it's talking therapy to establish what the client wants what their positive future would look like um and you know and and to look for hints and tips there in what they're actually looking for and then to embed that into the subconscious do you do any of what what most people would refer to as inner child work no people clearly have you don't do any stuff on on past no If, if somebody comes with a past trauma that they want help getting over um we use a technique called the rewind technique where we'll take them before that and immediately afterwards yeah um but we don't do it in a child as such um yeah with the with the whole process though obviously i'm not an ex-doctor i'm just a therapist i don't want to overstate my uh, pay grade here so obviously and i'm just an ex-doctor not a not a psychotherapist (laughs) (laughs) so uh, we're not allowed to analyze we're not allowed to diagnose and we're certainly not allowed to prescribe um so it's the the problem is whatever the client comes with and states is their issue i mean that's always my first question what would you like help with right yeah yeah I think we're, we're both working on the same 
result. Yeah, absolutely. But we may get we may get there a little differently, and of course, that's why there are different flavors of hypnotist. Mm. Different people, different problems resonate differently with individuals. Mm. Yeah. I mean, do you use a lot of direct suggestion when you've got your clients in hypnosis? If if there's somebody that requires it. The school that I attended refers to people as being emotion or physical. Mm. Um, and and very analytic people tend to respond better to inferred. So I I, I tend to mix it up. Mm. A, a lot of the work isn't hypnosis because that hypnosis doesn't have to be that long a process. Um, it's it's the conversation that you have with the client first to really mm. understand where they are and where they want to be. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, we um, use very little direct suggestion. It's mainly the use of metaphor, and again, mm -hmm. it's thinking on your feet once you've got the client into trance. Um, if just off the top of my head, if a client is having issues with freeing themselves of a, an old relationship or something like that and wants to move on. You might use a metaphor about um, a butterfly emerging from the chrysalis, that kind of thing, and really get that, mm -hmm. you know, get that into them um, while they're in trance and embed it in the uh, subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. I think going back a little bit to, to what we were saying about what do we think people think when they get to us, there is a tendency for people to think they can come with a laundry list of things <laughs> fixed in a single session. Of course, your, your subconscious will just say, uh-uh, and your conscious mind will click back to attention and nothing's going to work. You really can only work on one or two minor changes at a time, but those minor changes will have knock-on effects. Mm, absolutely. Really in the interim between sessions. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, the, the mind will always try and protect us from change. It relies on previous patterns of behavior and previous yeah. things you know, is, to guide us. It's very much the devil you know rather than the devil you don't. I'm Absolutely. uncomfortable here, but I know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. This is where I'm staying. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it, I mean, once we can start to um, form a new habit or something, of course, it gets easier and easier all the time. Right. You know, obviously, you, you know all the um, sort of neuroscience explanations for it. I tend to do things easily and refer to things like the, I like easy. <laughs> yeah, like, like the elephant clearing the path through the jungle. Exactly. Um, you know, the, the more times it goes through there, the clearer the path becomes. Right. But what's really nice about hypnosis is you can practice, for example, somebody who wants to improve their piano playing or their skiing technique. Mm. You can practice it in your imagination and you can do that multiple times mm. in a single in a single session in a, in a day. You could sit down on your couch and practice that over and over and over where in the real world you'd have to go skiing six days in a row mm. <laughs> and those your brain very very clever organ doesn't know the difference between the real world and the imaginary world your conscious mind of course does but your brain is just you know you say it's raining out it will believe you unless your conscious mind makes some argument to the contrary well, yeah, that, that's it. And you, if you try and say to people, your brain can't tell the difference between imagination and reality, at first they'll say, well, don't be stupid, of course I can. But then when you give them an analogy of, say, when they're watching a scary horror movie and they know they're right. at home perfectly safe on the couch. <laughs> it's that, it's the fact that because we don't understand it, it's hard to explain there's a difference between your brain, which mm. is a physical organ responding to physical things, and your imagination and the mind 
which is your awareness. And then we get into religion and a whole bunch of things. We, nobody knows. It's well, some of us think we know, but we, we can only interpret those things for ourselves. Mm. And, and those two work together. <laughs> so, but, but no, nobody really understands quite. There have been some really good studies fairly recently shown with the functional magnetic imaging mm. um they've been able to show different parts of the brain lighting up and you can see which bits are responding to what um which is very exciting for doctors because doctors like evidence yeah yeah <laughs> Give them some evidence it makes them happy <laughs> yeah everything's going to so, be evidence based it reminds me of um john Ratey, who wrote spark um he what's it what did he came up with now brain derived neurotropic factor um some, oh, okay. some, something to do with um different parts of the brain lighting up when you're using your imagination different mm -hmm. parts of the brain li lighting up when you're doing exercise and that kind of thing um right. he, he's the one that said if you go for a 20 minute run it's like getting a hit of um ritalin okay. and something else all in one go oh okay <laughs> <laughs> you go read him <laughs> he's american <laughs> there's a lot of them <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I fo followed uh, David Spiegel's stuff um, on. Uh, he does quite a lot of YouTube stuff. He is a psychiatrist at Stanford who mm. does research into this. Um, I disagree with him on several points, which is rather cheeky of me since he's got some serious credentials. Uh, and my disagreement is he says that only a doctor should perform hypnosis, and I say only. It should be doctor, if we're dealing with medical issues, it should be hypnotists working with doctors. Yeah. I don't see anybody on my one-to-ones without their doctor knowing about it and being mm. able to communicate with them um, because we want what's best for people. For example, um, one of the biggest things I get asked for is to reduce people's pain. Mm. That's fine and dandy. I don't like people being in pain, but pain is a useful tool. It tells us things. <laughs> If you have pain and I get rid of the pain for you, but there's a reason for the pain that the doctor ought to be fixing, that is not in your best interest. So we want to be sure that we're not doing any harm. Oh, absolutely. That's the first thing, actually. If somebody comes to see me for you know chronic pain, long-term pain, um, they have to see their doctor first to, to get it checked out what it is. Because obviously, as you know, being a doctor, if pain's there, it's there for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, but once we know what the reason is then we can address it and you can continue to have your treatment for whatever is the cause and and hypnosis can certainly help and that's quite common with uh, oncology patients mm. uh, and just just reducing people's anxiety helps with pain too yeah absolutely i mean it, but, if, if we get into that a bit more perhaps when you're in a stressed state especially if you had a cancer diagnosis or something like that when you're in a stressed state, you're on red alert, you're in the primitive mind, your stress levels are high, you're chucking out, correct me if I'm wrong with this, you're chucking out cortisols and one thing and another which make mm -hmm. you stressed, then you're going to feel the pain more, you're going to concentrate on the pain more, surely. Right. Um, I, I, yeah. There are, I mean, there are some exceptions. If you, if you are running for your life and you jump over mm. a wall and you break your leg, people can run on legs. It's amazing what the mind can do. Oh, yeah, you'll get a surge like, of yeah. adrenaline then and you won't exactly. feel the pain. You hear that when somebody runs into a blazing house to rescue a child or something. Right, that sort of thing. But, but they will feel it very shortly thereafter. Oh, yeah. Just, just, <laughs> yeah, they don't yeah. feel it at the time, though. Yeah, but, oh. but 
the point of that conversation was that we want to work with physicians mm, absolutely and other therapists so mm. it's not saying that oh no hypnosis is the way to go when you've had there there are there are reasons that people have different types of psychoanalysis psychotherapy um, what's cbt cognitive behavioral therapy and there are different schools of of hypnosis of, of hypnosis that use different psychotherapies right and the the um the school that you trained you had dual dual training right at, at solution focus I did, yeah i did um solution focused hypnotherapy and psychotherapy with cpht and then separately i did uh, the national council of hypnotherapy 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 practitioner diploma <laughs> okay so that that was that sounds, um, that sounds like a lot of hours of training <laughs> it was a lot of hours and all together for both of them we did about 200 clinical hours um mm -hmm. of, of case studies as well so it's pretty good yeah. grounding um because of course anybody in the uk can call themselves a hypnotherapist um yes. so it's, it's always wise and to check out who you're dealing with pretty much in the us too there's only three states that require uh any kind of registration Mm. And they don't check actual, they don't check actual training, I don't believe. Mm. Certainly the, the one I know best does not. Um, and that is important. When, when you do decide to go see somebody, check out their credentials, make sure they actually trained and check out their track record. Because, of course, somebody had to be first. Um, yeah. You know, lived experience. Uh... Well, that's it. It, you need, it takes quite a while. My school requires a year of supervised uh, clinical practice. Mm. And uh, and then I switched over. I'm now, uh, I use my certification for the National Guild of Hypnotists. It's one of the largest in the world, mostly for the name recognition. Mm. <laughs> um, but they have people uh, certifying who've come from lots and lots of different areas, but they do. There's a minimum mm. requirement. You can't get on the, those registries with like, I did a weekend course. Mm. The weekend courses are great, to get you interested mm. or for example should solution focused hypnotherapy suddenly decide to do a weekend course i would love to come and do that course because i'd like to add to my skill set yeah, absolutely i've been so continued professional development yeah yes yes how do you get most of your continuing professional development apart from our mutual friend yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mine's all done through cpht who i trained with Mm -hmm. um in fact, in fact the most recent cpd i did was more solution focused stuff more solution focused questioning um okay. ev everything's based around getting the client into the left prefrontal cortex getting them thinking positively and sort of going for it with a set of questions that prompt all these positive responses all the time uh not talking about toxic positivity at the other end of the extreme you know, yeah. um, but if, if somebody moderation in all things, <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. You know, oh, you've always got to be positive, always got to be positive. Oh, I lost the leg. Oh, think about think of the money you save on socks that lost twice as long. Not that kind of toxic positivity. <laughs> um, things on the basis of if somebody you know isn't feeling so good one week, so how would it have been if it was better? Tell me how that would have been. What would that have been like? Mm -hmm. And get them Maybe, imagining yeah. positively. Exactly. The imagination. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do when a client, and I've had a couple of clients come to me, I don't have an imagination. Like, okay, wonder how you managed to walk out of the door this morning. Mm. Um, what, how would you explain that to a client if somebody said, I don't have an imagination? 
Okay. Um, in the simplest form, imagination is how you visualise the future. So I'll ask them, can they think about the future? If they can, well, they can imagine. Including the extremely short future. Yeah, like, yeah. The immediate I can imagine future. a piece of toast. Yeah. It's the same way if somebody says they can't visualise something. I say to them, visualization isn't necessarily seeing a picture in your mind. It's how you mm. interpret it. So therefore, if somebody says, I can't visualize something, I say to them, what color is your front door? Where's the letterbox? Is it on the left mm -hmm. or on the right? Where's the handle? Is it on the left or the right? right? And they're going into their minds to remember that in whatever form they do it. Um, yes. So that, that, that would always be my response to somebody who says, I can't visualize things. Yeah, I think with a lot of people, when they when you say the word imagination, they think of oh, very creative people and people that project. I can't imagine being the director of a movie, <laughs> even though I'm learning a lot more tech these days mm. about those things, because I don't have the kind of imagination to see what they see when they look through a viewfinder. They see something quite different than I do. Mm. I I cannot imagine. Um, the, the perfect see oh if that person just moves that little bit that will be so much better and of course we don't have a control on whether it did or not but i don't have that kind of imagination and you don't need that kind of imagination you just have to be able to find a place in your mind where you feel safe yeah you absolutely that that sort of imagination mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, I, I think, again, for people who perhaps have never, ever experienced hypnotherapy or anything like that, that's perhaps a really important point to get over to them. We're all about finding that safe space in the mind and switching off the inner narrative, mm -hmm. that, that, that voice in the client's head, whilst we sort of get into that safe space with them and help them yeah. visualise the where they want to be. When, we, when we're talking about voices in your head, we're not talking psychosis here, we're talking no, no. about the... The, the beneath your consciousness, beneath mm. your almost beneath your subconsciousness, you don't hear somebody saying, "Oh, you're too fat to go to that party," or "Oh, you're you know you can't possibly stand up in a crowd of people and give a talk." Mm. You you don't actually hear those. Well, some people do, but for the most part, we we don't remember where those voices come from, mm. and we don't really hear that. We just get the emotion. Yeah. that we had when we heard those things oh, yeah we feel it yeah yeah we feel it yeah. um so it's very much getting in touch with your feelings uh but not necessarily reliving the trauma of something when we work with people who've been traumatized they there are techniques that you can use to i know you you don't do trauma work but um there are techniques so that they can be removed from it they don't have to go through the pain of it Oh, absolutely. That's what I was saying about it and make it worse. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was saying about doing a rewind technique. You'll go to before the traumatic event and you'll go to after it. You'll miss the event out itself. Um, that, that's how I deal with any kind of trauma work. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. No, there's no need to revisit any trauma. It's not useful. It's not helpful at all because mm -hmm. anything you, you, you think about, you're going to amplify. So, I mean, th this is always my argument. And again, I, sorry, I know you're a Brit, but you're in America and our interpretation <laughs> over here is, you know, in America, you, you're nobody if you've not got a therapist. Everybody has a therapist for life over there. That's, know. you know, that's the way we see it. And well, We're not quite for life. Yeah. Serial therapists, people usually change. Yeah, yeah but of course, if you, if you go into a therapist every week, though, and you're going to relive the same thing again and again every week, of course you're going to be in therapy forever. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I can think of some therapists that might find that worrisome. 
I would like to see hypnosis being used more by therapists. Mm. Most have at least had a smattering of of education in it, but not enough, I think. I think yeah, it's, well, just going back to... Very, yeah. Like EMDR, those things. Mm, yeah. And, and of course, it, it also, there's a sort of fashion cycle to these things. You know, hypnosis was very big. I can't imagine anybody has not heard of using hypnosis for childbirth. Yet, 50 years ago, nobody would have talked about it. Mm. No, it would have been, uh, give me the gas and air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's um, that's the thing, sorry, just going back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, say CBT, for example. So I'm presuming it's the same in the US as it is here in the UK. You may go and see your doctor who will refer you to a psychiatrist. You'll go and, you know, pour your heart out to your psychiatrist. And he may say, yes, I think you should have CBT. And then he mm-hmm. will refer you on to a therapist who does the cbt mm-hmm. usually the- very very few psychiatrists do do much in the way of therapy just because of the way that insurance works here mm. um uh, so it's usually in tandem with this medication involved it's usually uh, uh, a psychiatrist is involved in care mm. and they check in with each other um but most therapy you know the, the standard 50 minute hour uh, therapy sessions are usually with a psychoanalyst, mm. a psychotherapist, a CBT person. There's there's many many flavors of of uh, psychology as well. Mm. Um, uh, and of course, in this country, a lot of people it, it, to be a psychotherapist in most states, not all, but most states, you need a doctorate in psych in clinical psychology. Yeah. Uh, but you can hang a shingle with a lot of other labels. You can be a licensed clinical social worker. You can be a family and marriage and family counselor or marriage and family therapist um, and there's different levels of training and different different issues that they would deal with so mm. um, there's it's very complicated so you, you need you need to start with your doctor because they have maybe some better idea of what's available in your area mm. also and what other underlying issues there might be because mm. we're not talking about people who have actual psychiatric illness not not talking about you know the 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 emotional stuff where you can see where something started but the Mm. biochemical stuff that just comes out of genetics probably um we do need to be careful about this you can certainly i i will see people who are bipolar or have other psychiatric illnesses Mm. but again only in conjunction with their physician or psychotherapist yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, over here, um, if, if somebody comes to me and they tell me, you know, that they're depressed, they like help with it, this, that, and the other, and then, you know, they tell me they're on medication for depression, it's been given them to have a doctor. The first thing I do is write to their doctor to let them know. Right. I've, I've had a discussion with this person, they'd like to undergo solution focused hypnotherapy. Do you have any objections? Um, mm-hmm. You know, keep, keep keeping the doctor in the loop. It's a professional courtesy for one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, they may then write back and tell me, well, actually, no, they're on, uh, you know, Risperidone as well. They're on an antipsychotic or something, in which mm-hmm. case, you know, obviously, you, you don't do hypnotherapy with somebody who's taking antipsychotic medication. Okay. I don't know where the time's gone there, Denise. I think uh, we'll call that quits <laughs> for our first one. <laughs> yeah. uh, shall we just let listeners know what to expect in future podcasts? Because it's not just two hypnotherapists talking, is it? It's two hypnotherapists, no, it's two talking, hypnotherapists to... talking to somebody else. <laughs> yeah. So what kind of Sometimes, guests? 
What can you guess uh, can our listeners expect? Well, so far we have two or three other flavors of uh, hypnotists, uh, hypnotherapists uh, who have agreed to come and talk with us, and uh, a couple of physicians in the US who are interested in hypnotherapy. In the meantime, we better wrap this one up. And uh, if you're still listening at this stage, thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. This has been two therapists talking to each other. (laughs) Two hypnotherapists talking to each other. (laughs) Correct. Correct. All right. See you soon, Denise. Thank you. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Please remember, this podcast is designed to give you an insight into therapeutic hypnosis and is for educational purposes only. So remember, consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you've heard may apply to you or a loved one. If you found this episode useful, you can apply for free continuing professional development or CME credit using the link provided in the show notes. Feel free to contact either of us through the links in the show notes. Join us again next week.